Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Quantum Leap was an experimental time travel program, years away from being tested. Your name is Dr. Ben Song. You're a time traveler leaping from life to life, trying to put right what once went wrong. You still think Ben is nearing his last leap? I'm getting nothing. He's gone. Ben! No! Ben, you've been missing for three years. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 148, Ben and Teller. You got a set, Wes? Is that what you want me to believe? You're going to have to pay to find out. It's turtle time. Cash me out and put it on my time. We just got started. Hey, at least now you got a shot at winning. How did you find him? We looked for two years. When the government lost all hope of getting Ben back and they shut us down a year ago, I snuck back in here and I turned on one single computer station and I just left it running. Like a SETI program that's searching for aliens, except I was scanning for a mild-mannered physicist. It was a one in a trillion chance, but I had to try. I can't believe you actually found him. He's out there. He's been out there for three years. That's the other thing. For Ben, it, it hasn't been three years. It's been one single leap. It's almost as if, like, no time has passed at all. Three years. Did they really say it's been three years? Feels like three years I've been waiting here. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Oh, sorry about that. Um, uh, 20, 40, 60, 80, 100. There you go. Have a great day. Yeah, whatever. Lorena, hello. Lorena. How does it feel to finally be a grandma? It's unexpected. It's hard to explain. Lorena, Rebecca, always far too much clucking in the hen house when you two are together. Oh, God. It's Sean. Sean? My little brother, Sean. What is he doing here? When's the last time you've seen him? Not since he stopped by on my birthday to borrow my car and disappear for three days. You watch. He's just here to ask me for some money. Actually, he's here to ask for all the money. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. And I'm Matt Dale. And we have arrived at season two, episode two of the new Quantum Leap uh, with a cheeky title, Ben and Teller. (laughs) 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 Matt, I remember last week you lamented that it wasn't about magicians. Not about magicians. And I'm not usually smug about this kind of thing, but I did call this one months ago because in in the, the, the trailer that was released at the end of season one for the season two episodes, there there was a clip of Ben in looking like maybe in the eighties with the woman, which we now know is from this episode. And I saw that and there was something about it that said bank heist. And when the episode titles came out several weeks ago, and this one was Ben and Teller, I did hear a couple of people saying, ah, magician. I went, no, bank teller. So I'm very pleased to have seen through their puns. Their puns do not always have anything to do with the episode, and this one well, doesn't. You know, it, it's it's funny. Now, since we're on titles anyway, um, when we saw this took too long, the original title for that episode was Stranded. 
as yes. far as I know. I don't know if that yeah. was a working title. I don't, we never even discussed that on the show, but since we, yeah, since we're on titles now, Ben and Teller's a cute little pun. Mm. I have some thoughts about that, but Stranded was such a more appropriate title in retrospect with the twist at the end yes. of the last episode that this took too long. It's, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, what, what is that in reference to? I, I guess it's in reference to it taking Ian three years to find Ben. But it, yeah, it's not as it's not as snappy as stranded with Ben feeling stranded most of the way through the episode, but not really knowing just how stranded he really is. I yeah, sure, and it makes it makes better sense in retrospect. Had this been, or or had that been, an Ian focused episode, and we saw what they were doing throughout the time, this took too long. Would have made much more sense as opposed to just getting it from Ben's point of view at the very end. Yeah. 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 Anyway, it, it just struck me as an odd choice and I forgot to bring it up last show. So thank you for indulging me, sir. But I mean, <laughs> Ben and Teller, um, ben and Teller. bank heist. If it was about magic, I think it would have uh, begged comparison to the great Spontini as this one begs comparison to promised land. But yes. before we get into all of that, we have an interview to tell you about Matt. Second episode, second interview. We're on a roll. Yeah, what's this, going on here? This is really good, and this this is one of Albie's. Uh, Albie Albie sort her out, and uh, this is Albie's interview. So this is Christina Sophia Castro, who is uh, sometime editor of uh, the new series of Quantum Leap. She edited SOS, and she edited tonight's episode, Ben and Teller. Wow. So yeah, uh, Albie, I know from what I can tell from what he sent me, had a pretty long conversation with her and, uh, he was over the moon when, uh, when he got <laughs> done with it. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he's, he's an editor as well, professionally. So I, I guess they're, they're going to geek out about all kinds of editing stuff. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, me neither. It's funny because we spoke to an editor last season as well. He was an editor on the original series. And uh, I think it was before we even started the reboot specials. Uh, so it was fun to hear about the way they did it on the old show. I am so interested to hear how the process works on the new show, what has changed in these intervening 25, 30 years. So <laughs> yeah, it's going to be cool to talk to Christina and you guys will be hearing that after the break. But we have a lot more to go before then, so why don't we do some initial impressions? Because if you recall, when we ended the last show, we were both on such a high that we could not wait to see what season two brought us, both in terms of lore and in continuation of a lot of those themes. So what did you think of Ben and Teller? Uh, overall, great episode. This one had... More challenges than episode one in that now we, we've had that cliffhanger teed up. Now we've got to see the resolution. Now we've got to bring back in the project elements and see if it works better than it did in the first season. For the most part, I think it did and it succeeds at that. But we're, we're kind of going back now into that season one. Let's try and balance an interesting leap story with some cool stuff back at the project. And mm. it does succeed but it already has that challenge up against it when we've had such a high high quality first episode how can this live up to it and it, and it does really well it's it's a fun episode i watched it a couple of times before this and i enjoyed it each time there's a lot of a lot of really good stuff here happening in the present day and in the 80s all right no in the future and the 80s sir oh yes the near future <laughs> where everyone's wearing 
bubble wrap. Exactly. <laughs> That's the kind of near future I want to see. I'm sort of of two minds of this one because this episode is so much more like a season one episode for all the reasons you just said. I feel like we were getting the other side of the coin now. We set everything up that it's three years later. Now we have to necessarily go back to find everybody at the project and see what they're doing and where they are. In terms of that, um, good, great. I, I really enjoyed all that stuff. The leap plot, mm, standard. Yeah. Somewhat enjoyable, but you knew exactly where it was going to go from the first scene. And I don't know if that's necessarily so that it wouldn't be distracting from all the stuff that was going on in the future or or what. I, I, I really – but um, – I, I, hmm. I didn't dislike this episode, so I'm not going to come out and say, oh, it was bad. But my first impression was that – are we going to start backsliding to some of the problems that we had in season one with balancing the two stories? I don't know that we will, because again, we're talking about a special circumstance here. Just like um, the first episode had to do a lot of heavy lifting when it came to Ben, this one had to do so much when it came back to everybody back at the project that no matter, I think, what you had, I think the Leap story would have suffered in some degree. So... Mm. But but that, that being said, still very enjoyable episode. And um, the most enjoyable part of this episode to me was getting back to know where everybody is, what everybody's doing, like joining everybody in media res in 2026, and especially opening up with Jen at that poker game. I, I We've spoken to Nanrissa, and I kind of feel funny saying this, but she is so pretty. Every time she comes on screen, I just, I, I just have to stop. Yes. <laughs> so if you, you know, Nanrissa, if you're listening, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to objectify you, but it's just like, wow, it's just so arresting every time I see you. And it's like, to open up with her at that poker game, that's so Jen, like that was so yes. cool. So right yeah. there, I was on board. I was like, yes, this is going to be great. And uh, Ian walks in and they say, it's turtle time. <laughs> turtle time, yeah. Another lovely reference to the season one finale. Again, showing that kind of that continuity that I mentioned last week, which is great. Yeah, The poker game, I love the poker game. Um, what it highlighted for me, though, is going back to this point about the balance between what's happening at the leap versus what's happening in the near future. This was an episode that should have been quite heavily in the near future, and I think they could have gone further because it felt like we got a really good introduction with Ian going and, and finding Jen, and then Magic's just kind of there, and then we see Addison doing her Addison thing, but basically what I wanted to see was Ian going around getting the gang back together and, like, 15 minutes of that that would have been fine and <laughs> as much as i did enjoy the leap i think it could have been sacrificed and we could have just said you know what we're gonna have 15 minutes of leap footage this week and that's it and that is the point of this episode is everyone coming back mm. together and it would have been like so many other kind of relaunches and reboots like star trek whenever it comes back and um i i'm thinking of all kinds of examples that are terrible but the, the, it's it is a, a getting the gang back together could have been a a real focal point for this and it kind of feels a little bit rushed the gem bit's great the Addison bit is good, but I think would have been better if it hadn't been handled by let's look at Addison through the eyes of a character we've not met yet. It's a little a little rushed in service of getting us back to the leap. Mm, all right. Well, see, uh, 
I, I guess maybe, and that would have been cool, but I kind of liked what we got anyway. Mm-hmm. We found out um, that the project has been shut down for a year. They searched mm-hmm. for Ben for two years before that, and they could not find him. So they presumed that he was dead. They declared him dead, and everybody has seemingly moved on in this last year. So we don't know what Ian has been doing, but they apparently kept a light on at the project, just in case the one in a billion chance that they're able to find Ben somehow, he pings the radar. We have Jen at this poker game. So mm-hmm. what is Jen doing, do you think? Is she is she hustling now? Is she, do you think she's on like a poker tour or does she find like underground games and is a gambler or? Is- this, this is what I mean. I, I wanted more of that. I wanted <laughs> to find out more detail. Can I also just segue briefly because you mentioned something I should have picked up on. If the writer's room is listening, Thank you for being so consistent with the timeline in this episode and the tail end of the last one, because I know in the first season it was kind of, was it 2022? Was it 2023? And I sent myself in knots trying to figure out (laughs) how to justify every reference to the timeline and got almost all of them into a single canon, but it was difficult and it still didn't quite work. This whole thing of... It started in 2017, then five years later. Now it's been a further three years, but one year ago that everything is tying up. Please don't lose that later on this season. Please don't throw a reference into a year that doesn't make sense because you're doing so well right now. And this makes me happy. Off my soapbox. That was my TED talk. (laughs) This kind of world building is super important to nerdy fans. As soon as you throw in a reference that contradicts a reference in a previous episode, there's going to be a bunch of us that notices and it pulls us straight out of the the action. So I love the fact they're throwing in these little references to building a chronology, which is making sense. It's it's world building across years and love it. Love it. Thank you. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because we spent a lot of time in the last episode talking about the new Saga Cell. And we were hoping that we would have that. And it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. In 2017, the military gathered a small group of scientists to try and bring the Quantum Leap time travel program back online. Five years later, believing it was the only way to save his fiancée's life, Dr. Ben Song risked everything when he entered the accelerator to travel back in time. It supports... The points that you're making. But that's another thing that made me go, oh, wait a minute, we're sort of back to season one kind of paradigm here. Because we started out again now with the traditional Addison recap, as opposed to just a generic saga cell. And um, I, I don't know if that gave me trepidation, but I was just like, oh, okay, so this obviously has more of the DNA of the first season. And then it makes more sense to me. Because it was all about back at the project. So yeah. even though I would have loved to have seen some kind of Deborah saga cell at the beginning of every episode, number one, they don't have the time because yeah. they got 42 minutes and 12 seconds or whatever it is. That was a long saga cell. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I feel like you sacrifice three scenes if you still have the saga cell from the original series. So, And this isn't the 90s anymore where you could have a single saga cell that you could drop at the start of an episode for in theory, five years, you know, the three and a half years it was actually used for, and it still be relevant every episode. The Saga Cell changed multiple times during the first season because it was bringing us up to the point that we're at right now. And I'm sure the Saga Cell last week, it would still have fitted this week. I suspect as the season goes on, it would have fitted less and less. So as soon as we find the reason that Ben is still leaping, that final line where Deborah says, And for reasons unknown, Ben did not leap home. Suddenly, it, it makes no sense. So unless they unless they have Deborah Pratt stuck in a cupboard for 
the next eight weeks, <laughs> constantly re-recording it, which you can get away with slightly easier with Caitlin, who's on set all the time. It, yeah, it's it needs to be an evolving saga cell. So I have no issue with that. The, the going back to the more traditional for new series because that's that's, that's the nature of new TV. Things move. Yeah, and and again, for all that, I got a good feeling when I heard that open as well because I like the music and I kind of like the style. And there's mm. nothing inherently wrong with it, so it's picking up on threads from this series that make this series unique in and of itself. Yes. So, but yes. okay, so where so we were with Jen with her with her sexy underground poker life, liking yeah. that, and then we just somehow track Magic down to a random jewelry store because it's his one year anniversary. What do you think of? These for a one-year anniversary. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Thoughts? It, it's so interesting that you said his one-year anniversary. That's a connection I hadn't necessarily made. Um, it's a one-year anniversary. He's getting a one-year anniversary gift. It, it could be for someone close to him who's celebrating their, for their one-year anniversary. You don't buy jewelry for a friend celebrating a one-year anniversary, my friend. Mm. Ah, uh, so is it Beth or is it Janice? Or is it Donna? What do you think? <laughs> Magic and Janice. <laughs> there's some there's some fanfic we need. Uh, I'm sure it's already out there. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> I think that it might be Donna. You think Donna? <laughs> oh, poor Magic. Have we seen any frying pan scars <laughs> in the back of his head? I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm just gonna say, if you're gonna make it, if you're gonna make it like like some kind of weird head thing, then you might as well make it as as weird as possible, right? Because yeah. I mean, I'm obviously, like, what what did you think the obvious reason was? You didn't even think it was an anniversary that he was celebrating for him. You just thought he was buying earrings for a friend. I thought it could be. I mean, we know that Magic has a daughter, right? But we don't know if he's ever been married. It's certainly possible that he could have remarried or married the mother late or yeah i suppose there's any number of things so what, what's your theory why are you hedging you know it's beth it's beth <laughs> it's gotta be beth I, what else it doesn't make any sense if it's anybody but beth there was definitely a little bit of a connection there when yeah. we saw them together some, some sparks and if you're gonna get mm. susan in and you know make magic the enemy of a vast swath of fandom you might as well go for broke right <laughs> yes oh that i hope susan comes back next week and um just just rocks up to project headquarters hi magic hi gives him a big smooch yeah yeah, and uh, after that telling scene of Magic and Beth, hmm. everybody start the fanfic train right now. Finally, we catch up with Addison. Addison yeah. is back on active duty, apparently doing training exercises. And not only that, she's moved on, uh, not only professionally, but romantically. Enter mm. Tom Westfall. Yeah. Okay, I don't know what you know about conspiracy theories and TV and fan theories and stuff. <laughs> Tommy you Westfall. know where I'm going with this, right? Yeah. 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 So Tommy Westfall universe is now quantumly part of the Tommy Westfall universe, or is this Tommy Westfall all grown up into Tom Westfall and every other TV universe exists in his head and we're meta outside of that universe looking at the real Tom Westfall? I have a headache. <laughs> if anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about. Um, spoilers for a 35, 36, maybe 40-year-old TV show at this point. 
the end of a series called Saint Elsewhere had a character uh, named Dr. Westfall. He had an autistic son named Tommy. And at the very end of the series, um, they show a scene with these characters, but in a different context. And it turns out that the entire series of Saint Elsewhere took place in Tommy's head. So they call it the Tommy Westfall universe because there are a number of shows that connected to Saint Elsewhere. And somebody has created a website where it links in everything from MASH to I Love Lucy to the X-Files to just about everything now exists somehow with a credible link to the Tommy Westfall universe. So the fact that they named this guy Tom Westfall. (laughs) I I know I've never seen any of Saint Elsewhere. So I know nothing about the show except for that scene that you're talking about and the fact that every tv show has has crossed over with everything else and thus comes into this universe and how frustrating it is that the sin elsewhere could end like that and everyone could embrace it and yet star trek enterprise ends and we discover that enterprise is all a holodeck simulation and fandom goes berserk i just don't get it it's it's um it but the feels enterprise unfair was, no, the enterprise actually happened it was just a shitty holodeck episode to end the series that still sounds that still sounds like the end of sin elsewhere to me but <laughs> whatever you do you you're saying that the nx01 didn't exist outside of riker's holodeck fantasy Again, never seen Sin Elsewhere. Do we know that the Sin Elsewhere characters didn't exist? And I, Actually, no, I'm going to backtrack on this. Maybe yes. Maybe NX-01 <laughs> only existed in Riker's holodeck fantasy. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Uh, we have a whole new podcast that we're going to be doing soon, everybody. It's called <laughs> Enterprise? Question mark? Anyway. So, yeah. So, we're in the Tommy Westfall universe or outside the Tommy Westfall universe. But the character of Tom Westfall, what did you think of that development? I'm, I, I'm so – I thought you were going to ask me a different question then. I was a big fan of the Ben and Addison relationship last season. I know it divided fandom. I loved it. I thought it gave – Caitlin and Ray some really good stuff to do, but it was limited and they were already struggling for material by the end of the season. They tied it up so nicely in Judgment Day. I'm glad, not not for the characters because I'm so invested in them. I'm gutted and I cry, but I'm glad for the <laughs> actors and the writers that they got some really cool stuff to do now. Dramatically, I think it's a great development. Ask me what I think of Tom Westfall as a character, which is what I thought you were going to ask. Oh, okay. Hey, hey, Matt. Hey, Matt, since you're asking me to ask you, this is me asking you, what did you think of Tom Westfall as a character and not the kid on San Elsewhere? Eh, I mean, given the fact that there are going to be people out there like me invested in the Ben and Addison relationship, if they're going to have her leave him for someone else, albeit with with perfectly reasonable reasons, it's got to be a character that you immediately fall in love with. And eh... He didn't do much, did he, apart from phone the head of the FBI and be all like, hey, I can phone the head of the FBI. He's my friend. He owes me a favor. <laughs> Who'd you text? Director of the FBI. Owed me a favor. He, he just... Uh, is this what he's going to be doing the rest of the season? Just being like, I'm handsome and cool and I've got a cool uh, facial hair and I, everyone loves me and Jen loves him for some reason that we don't really know. <sighs> Even though they haven't seen him since game night, New Year's Eve, but still. Oh, yeah, because, yeah, that, that's why Jen loved him because he's bad at risk and she was able to ask him. <laughs> Not every soldier is good at risk and that's okay. Love the development, not sold on the character. What about you, Chris? What did you think of the development and the character? Um, I liked the development. I kind of saw it coming. Not, not, but. Okay, I shouldn't say I saw it coming. What I should say is this. 
once they revealed it, I wasn't shocked or surprised. It's kind of a logical, it's kind of a logical happening, right? And it gave me, um, I, I'm of two minds. I'm of two minds. I like it because it's realistic. If the person you love, you think they're dead, they're lost in time, regardless, you don't think you're ever going to see them again after two years of searching and then apparently another year of getting to know this new person and falling in love. That's very organic. That's very natural. It's actually healthy because she's learning to move on. I, I loved where we found Addison in this because she's back where she belongs. She's back centered in um, her military role, doing the thing that she espoused to have loved in the last episode. So it's logical that she goes back to those roots and she finds the thing that's centered her and gives her purpose and grounds her. And I thought that was terrific. And seeing her lead that assault and doing that training was great. The second I saw Smarmy McSmarmy come on screen, and <laughs> we should not. Hey, listen, if out there, Peter, Peter Godoy, I'm going to say it, it this wrong. Is not, this is not about the performance. This it's is, not about you, yeah. Peter. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hey, great, great performance, just with some limited material and, and maybe a misfire in terms of making him so obviously lovable. No, I, well, I had to see, once he came on screen, I already knew that they had a a deeper relationship because magic said Madison, how are we going to tell her i don't know i can't stop thinking about it i do know one thing this news shouldn't come from us then we see tom walk up obviously to break this news obviously he means something to her so they telegraph that a mile away and so yeah. so i wasn't surprised when it happened this is where i have some trepidation and you tell me if i'm wrong this seems to me, and we have a scene that almost kind of supports it a little bit towards the end. It's a nice scene between Caitlin and Nan Rissa where Jen and Addison are talking about. I buried him. I know. Those two years that we couldn't find him were the darkest of my entire life. And then when this program got shuttered, I, I didn't actually think I could go on. And then Tom, he helped me remember what it was to be alive again, to be happy. That's why you're not the only one that loves Tom. You know, I keep expecting you or Ian or Magic to shake me or yell at me. Tell me to get back in there and at least talk to him. I just don't know what to do with all this quiet acceptance. Yeah, well, any chance you're expecting us to fight you because that's what you really want? This gives me pause because are we now going to have this manufactured Will they, won't they drama of Addison mm -hmm. being back in love with Ben at the expense of Tom, who everybody loves, who's the greatest guy in the world, who does nothing but support her in this. He says, yes. look, we're going to have some weird days, but we'll get through it because I love you. I trust you. You love me and we'll figure it out. Is there any clearer way for the writers to say that this is going to go sideways? <laughs> I, I hadn't, I hadn't picked up that and I hope you're wrong because that will be a little... Yeah, yeah, that won't be as interesting. I'm happy with Addison just being happy with a new guy. I, I would like to like that guy as well. I want to like him. But uh, yeah, I don't want this to turn into some kind of love triangle for Addison. Mm. For for Ben, sure, he's stuck out there. He can he can be all mopey. That's cool, but not Addison. On on the the topic of Ben being mopey, I just want to pick up on something you you said and you brushed past. Like, oh, she thought he was dead for a couple of years. Then she's been getting used to this new guy. There was the indication that she's known Tom for some time because they they knew each other thirteen years ago uh, on some kind of some previous training, which 
brings the possibility that they knew each other in the past and maybe lost touch and maybe got back together, which also brings the possibility that at some point off screen, Ben and Tom have met, which thus brings the possibility that next week, Addison's going to say, hey, guess what? I've moved on and I've got a new boyfriend. And Ben goes, good for you. And she says, oh, it's Tom. And he goes, oh, no, not (laughs) fucking Tom. Anyone but... No. Anyone but St. Elsewhere guy. No. That's a lot more interesting than, because in my head, it was just like they're of an age and have some mm. similar experience so that these training routines are probably pretty standardized throughout the military in whatever branch of the service she happens to mm. be in. I guess she's the army, right? And um, he went through it the way she went through it, but it's almost like saying, yeah, when we yeah. were in basic training, we didn't have to do it together, but it was the same. But yours is much more interesting, to be frank. I, I I kind of I joke about it, but I hope not because that would be this kind of retconning of oh yes, actually this this new main character has been part of our lives all all along. We've just never seen him. It's Chekhov knowing Khan. Yeah, right. He's a new <laughs> character. Let's we we don't need to push him into the the backstory. If that happens, fine. But that's not what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping he's legitimately a new character. I I find it uncomfortable enough that we're introduced to this character by saying, hey, these other characters that we were following two episodes previously, suddenly now they know him and they've got at least a year's worth of experience with him. That is is jarring enough without also us finding out that Addison and Tom have been friends for years. So Hmm. I hope not. All right. I mean, well, I mean, that's an interesting way for them to maybe go. And with my fear of this just being a formula for manufactured drama, that might add a wrinkle to it that makes something like that, if it comes to pass, a little bit more palatable because there is more of a history here. So it's not just like this automatic nice guy that everybody's fallen in love with over the last year. Uh, even though from the project's point of view, like Magic and Jen and Ian, that's what they all feel. But from Addison's point of view, this is someone who, you know, if she was going to fall in love again, maybe it's because they had a shared history and maybe it was someone that could be one of the few people that could replace Ben for her or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It just, to me, your take on it gives it a little bit more legitimacy if we go down that drama route, which I hope we don't. So, <laughs> okay. I, I know that um, we're breaking our brains on whether or not Tom is going to be shoehorned into the backstory, but can we break our brains a little bit on some of Ian's techno babble here? Um, do you recall what they said about the uh, abandoned project? Oh, well, uh, when when Ben leapt to 2018 and he entered the machine as a, as a host, it scrambled Siggy's ability to predict the gravitational pull of his leaps, fracturing any semblance of control that we had over the system. So, honestly, what the fuck? What the fuck does that mean? Like, what? 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 <laughs> I right. I didn't spend too long analyzing that line itself because I was too busy thinking that this was this was basically a double whammy of that line in the first episode where Addison says, yes, Ian, I know I've been here since the beginning. Like, Magic asks Ian a question. Ian answers the wrong question. Magic says, yes, yes, if we all know that, answer the actual question yes. I'm asking. And then Ian gives the answer that, again, we, we all kind of know. So it, it's... It, Poor, poor Mason having to deliver a techno babble, but B also dumping exposition that we all know. And it isn't even what Magic's asking. But nobody, I know see, how this we is lost not, him. Tell me how you found him. But this is not exposition that we know because from what Ian is saying, I mean, 
the implication there that, that they implied to me was, and this harkens back to some serious problems I have with the finale that I want to get into a little bit. Ian says that once Ben leapt as a host, Ziggy could mm-hmm. not track the gravitational pull. Now, I know that we had the bullshit about uh, the Leaper slingshotting as if they were, you know, going to warp speed yes. or something around a sun <laughs> to get to certain <laughs> points in time, right? Go and rescue a whale. Yep. So apparently there's some gravity involved in time travel. I can buy that. Who knows what the hell would be involved in time travel? You got you to gotta get some momentum going to travel in time. So, so yeah, why not? That's fine. Right? That's fine. But specifically, they said when Ben leapt as a host, which means that Ben was leapt into himself. And then he and Martinez went into the accelerator again together. And we're leaping through time when they had already leapt into Ben himself and Martinez into magic. So Martinez yes. is leaping as magic. Ben is leaping as Ben into other hosts. And then Martinez gets killed and then Ben resets yeah. the timeline and he comes back. But like, so is magic dead in one time? Like this, the leaping yeah. is just so broken in, in this, in the season yeah. finale. Everything is broken in that season finale because of just the stupid mystery box format that they had. None of it makes any sense. It's very clear. Ben should have got spat out in the New Jersey turnpike. That's that's clearly what they're hinting at. I never thought that we would get a being John Malkovich reference on this show. Brilliant, That's I've been thinking that. I'm surprised it didn't come up when we were recording 118, because that's what I've been thinking all along. (laughs) Oh, it's just... So, but... So... I'm guessing that they're maybe just doubling down on that thing. So Ben had already leapt into yeah. himself and then was leaping again. And because he was leaping as both a leaper and a host, then Ziggy lost track of, of him. And that's why we lost him. And that's why we were searching for two years. But then we find yes. that the shift has been instantaneous for Ben. So where do those three years like what? What are we accounting for in that time span? Is this Ziggy somehow repairing the timelines? So that Ben can actually exist in some kind of coherent reality. And it took her three years to figure out how to thread that needle. Like, like what, what, what? Like, I'm, I'm really struggling to, yeah. to reconcile everything we saw last season with everything we know about leaping with everything that we're being given in that four second data dump techno babble nonsense. I, I got two schools of thought in my head, not even theories, really, because they're not theories. Either. There, there is some very good reason for the three year gap in universe. And it was hand waved away for now because it's going to be explained in a big moment later on in the season. Or what I suspect is more likely is they wanted to wipe the slate clean. They thought a three year jump would be a good way of doing it. And yeah, Ian got given four seconds of crap in order to just say, this is why it happened. And it, it, it doesn't matter that it makes no sense because it's just a way of saying, look, just accept it. Things have changed now. And boom, move on. If we get an explanation, I'll be very surprised. But not completely surprised because I may, maybe it is this season's mystery box. Why the three years? We certainly don't know why he's still leaping. There's still an open question about that. So uh, just a, a, a little, a little thing called GTF dubs, maybe, huh? Maybe. No, I don't know. I don't know. No, I mean, because if if you're gonna go with with the Sam paradigm, he's leaping because he still wants to leap. If Ben and Sam are of a pair, you yes. know, we we pretty much firmly establish in mirror image that Sam is leaping himself. So maybe Ben is still leaping because he wants to be leaping. I don't know. 
I don't know. And it, again, I've I've got two equally loud voices in my head. One of which is that this is the surprise that at some point later in the season will be explained. The other of which is yeah, in the in the first season. Ben had set this slingshot thing up, but once that was done, he was then in the accelerator, and now he's leaping through time, and now it's all just uh, driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. And Mm. that's it. His only guide on this journey is banging some other dude, so he's screwed in that respect. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, I hope hope that's how next week's Sarkacel opens. Deborah, get on that. <laughs> oh, you can, you can just hear Deborah saying that with complete sincerity. His only guide on this journey is banging some other dude. <laughs> so good luck with that. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we, we keep it highbrow here at the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. Heck, yeah. So, but it's it's funny that you say that they are trying to clean the slate. I get that, and I buy that. But why can't it be both? I don't see those as having to be mutually exclusive. Now, if it's something that they're going to put in as, you know, something that just bogs down the story as we move forward, then yeah, I don't need the explanation. Let's just gloss over it like you think they're doing and move on. And that's fine too. But as the time travel nerd, as the quantum leap nerd, I would Mm. really like to delve into this stuff a little bit more on camera because we got so precious little of it in the legacy series. And I feel like we got too much of it in a bad way in the first season of, of the revival series I'd really like to see them find a balance that that you know scratches both itches for me, and um, I, I don't know. Is that that sounds like a disgusting metaphor, but I'm sticking by it. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I feel from what happened in the first season that the producers of this show are interested in telling good dramatic stories and are, are not interested as much in the time travel nerdery that that you and I love. Which is fine, because it's just the nature of the stories they're telling. If that's the case, and if I'm right in that, I'd rather they didn't try and fail. I'd rather they just said, you know, it's fine, this thing's working, let's not delve into it, let's do exactly what they did in the original series. Don and Deborah never really dove into the the time travel stuff, and I don't think either of them are particularly time travel nerdy. So if they had have tried to dive into it, would it have been a, a big old failure? So I'm happy with them playing to their strengths, effectively. Okay. All right. Fair enough. And I think it was even Don that admonished the fans, just don't look too closely. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) It's all right. So, yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I guess, yeah, maybe it's be careful what you wish for. Maybe you're right on that score. You know, maybe it's, it's good to have these blanks where we can fill it in with just what makes sense for us. Yeah, you and I can do that. We we can headcanon all this stuff and talk about it on podcasts. Leave it off the screen unless you're damn confident about what you're doing. And, um, you know, writers, if you want a lesson in putting it on screen effectively, you know which <laughs> damn podcast to come call it. <laughs> yeah, i got a whiteboard waiting right here with some lines on it. And, uh... <laughs> we'll break this shit down for you, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really happy that we got as much project stuff as we did. I'm really intrigued mm-hmm. by what's going on with the Mothballed project. And, I mean, I know that, again, this is another... Is this is does this call back to season one? But we get this. We allude to the secret that Ian is keeping that only Jen knows about. Yes, you need to tell them, Jen. I- Magic and Addison, you need to tell them what you did here, how you actually found Ben. 
I told them that I, I left Ziggy running in the background. That is true. It's true, but it's not the truth. They don't need to know the truth. You sure about that? This is a hard place to keep secrets, Ian. Does this have to do with some of the stuff that we've been discussing? Like, what is Ian's secret? Because as far as I know, and this is the way Ian sold it, I just thought it was really nice because Ben and Ian are besties. Mm. I thought of it as Ian keeping a, a candle burning in the window, hoping against hope yeah. that Ben could somehow find his way home in the darkness and there would be this beacon for him. Mm-hmm. And we're being told that it seems to be a little bit more nefarious, or if not a little bit more involved than than they leaving one computer to run some kind of subroutine. What What do you think? I I, I don't that that was one of those ooh like I I don't want to say mind blown because we don't know what's what's going to happen, but it's kind of mind mind set up to blow. Uh, moments. <laughs> I went onto the edge of my seat, and then when it was when we went onto the next scene, I just sat back again and went, "Okay, all right, this is something we're going to toy with throughout the season." Fine, you play your games, Dean and Martin. You play them. Let's hope that it gets resolved somehow in the moment in a meaningful way that actually brings the story forward, instead of with the project being in lockdown and spinning our wheels for six episodes. Yeah. I've been burned once, so that's that's what I'm saying. It's just like I, you know, I'm optimistic. You know, I, I'm loving most of what I'm seeing. It's just that I'm seeing elements creep back that are giving me some kind of shell shock. And as much as I enjoyed season one in the moment, there are some definite failings that I hope we don't circle back to. Yeah, we we don't need to see with this, like you say, when it, when it comes up, if it comes up in the moment, good. If it requires. Magic and Jen spending 15 minutes driving around LA. I I enjoyed those moments at the time, but they do or did interrupt the flow quite a lot. And let's let's hope that doesn't happen. Let's just keep this as something that, that comes up when it comes up. Yeah, hopefully they're listening. And honestly, the first six are done anyway, so or eight, right? I think it's a bit late, the first eight done. We're going to get what we're going to get. <laughs> might be the whole season. Yeah. Who knows, yeah. so... Keeping our fingers crossed. So, hey, you know, this show is called Quantum Leap. Should we talk about the leap? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been on for 45 minutes. Should we Should we dive into the leap stuff? Let's <laughs> Let's get a start on this podcast, shall we? Well, yeah, I, I think that I, I kind of said what I wanted to about it. Not that there's not more to explore because there are some great little beats in it, but it's very generic feeling leap to me. This is something that would have been a middling episode of the Legacy series and quite frankly was a middling episode of the Legacy series mm-hmm. until Scott Bakula came back as his father. So, <laughs> I mean, where, where, where do you come down on this one? Yeah, this is a this is a season four episode of the original series where it had come off the kind of the confident highs of season three, hadn't got into the gimmicky season five stuff. I like season four, just it doesn't stand out. And that's what I felt about the leap stuff in this one. It was there so that Ben would have something to do when we weren't at the project. And I enjoyed it. There was some good tension, some great performances, mm. some nice comedy moments. But yeah, I, I have very little to say about it, which I find interesting because this was written by uh, Adrita Mukherjee, who wrote Family Style. Family Style? Yes. I love that one. That was such a good one. Yeah, in terms of the leap stuff, we, we all said at the time that was uh, that was one of the first ones that really felt like the original series in terms of the focus on people in a leap. Yeah, it's it's weird that this one... 
it doesn't quite hit home. There's, there is that family element of the, the brother and sister and everything. It's, it has, it has some of that small stuff, but, um, with the, the bank robbery, which is just such an overused plot device on TV. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't dislike it. It just feels like a lot of it's there as space filler. Yeah. And you'd think that we would get, a little bit more from Ben's point of view because last we saw Ben, he had just gotten himself out of this kerfuffle in Russia. Ian finally shows up and they say it's been three years and Ben leaps. And then Ben is left in this episode wondering what the hell happened. And then all of that reaction gets sidetracked into this very generic bank heist plot. Yeah. And we do get some of it sprinkled in where they can do it when they're not distracted with, oh, I don't know, keeping a whole bank full of people alive. Mm-hmm. So I liked Ian as the hologram. I think that they take to it naturally. And if we're going to have a hologram outside of Addison, I think Ian is the most entertaining choice. Yeah, uh, Maybe because their personality reminds me a little bit of Dean's personality in the sense of that they can be snarky, they can be funny, they can make light in what seems to be an inappropriate time to make light in a situation, but yes. still somehow get away with it <laughs> like Dean used to. So it's yeah. just like, yeah. I enjoyed that aspect of it. I just wish that they had had more time to actually talk to Ben about what all is going on and why three mm-hmm. years have passed or what do you think? Or, But we got too caught up in the plot, which obviously you need to have the leap and you need to have Ben do something to save the people. And okay, I get it, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if there's a balance there either, to be quite frank with you. I don't know how they would have done it and still been able to call the show Quantum Leap in the sense of what do you do? Do you have Ben just like waiting in a cabin like Obsessions and his whole thing is to like, to mail a letter or something and that's your leap well that's not very exciting i don't know i would have had no issue with that just really lean into the fact that this is we're reintroducing the characters introducing new characters doing the same thing with the plot reintroducing that but also pivoting the first episode was all about the leap the second episode much more project focused Yeah, I could have coped with a very simple leap and just focused. I I think as a TV audience, we can accept a quantum leap that's not quantum leap. Hmm. I don't know. One of the most popular episodes of the reboot of Doctor Who was an episode that doesn't have Doctor Who in it. And nobody questions that. It was seen as a bit brave at the time, but it was what it was. Are we talking about Blink? Yes. Everyone loves Blink. Because it's the greatest episode of Doctor Who ever written. <laughs> right. And, yeah, of the new series, maybe. Um, and David Tennant's <laughs> in it for, like, five minutes. So, yeah, yeah I would have no issue you caught, with You caught my loaded statement there, did you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was just fishing for a reaction. <laughs> yeah. It is a fantastic episode, though, and it, this could have been this season's blink. Would have had no issue with it with a Ray Light episode. Well, yeah, you know, who knows if they're brave enough to do that? I I think that when you have the pressures of being a network drama and you're selling a specific product, you don't veer from 
the thing that makes that product that product. And because they're not interested in selling you characters that you love, the suits are interested in selling diapers and sports cars and reverse mortgages and whoever else is going to sponsor the show. So you want to make sure that you have a consistent through line where if you come in and you're like, yo, look at that funny guy in a dress doing his leap thing. Then, you know, but if it's going to be just a bunch of people talking about what might be going on or I could see them being risk averse. Yeah. As a fan, I'm with you. I would love for them to be able to just to do that. But I feel like that's also something you get the luxury of doing if you're a streaming only series where you don't really need to worry about getting somebody back the week after because people are just going to be watching you anyway because they sought you out. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where there's there should be a sweet spot in there somewhere, right? Mm. Yeah. I wonder if we can find it. <laughs> I wonder. But there were still some great character turns in this though. And I yes. did like the guest cast. I liked um the uh the brother sister thing was even though it was it was somewhat cliche, Janet Montgomery who plays Rebecca and Graham Patrick Martin who played Sean, I think they did a really good job. Yeah. She's very good. Yeah, she was very good. As is Martin. And yeah. and the the guys who played the bank robbers were good too. That was Andy Bean and Billy Lush. Andy Bean yeah, so yeah. they did an effective job with what they were given, and I really enjoyed it. But the character stuff that they did give Ben in this one, I think, was still almost as good as last week's, um, especially mm-hmm. when Addison comes back and they have their meeting. And Addison even tells Tom. Have you thought about how you're going to tell him about us? That's the thing. He's Ben. He's going to take one look at me and... Uh... Hello. Yeah. He's trying to talk to her and it dawns on him and you can just, oh my God, Raymond, you're brilliant. You can, you can see the moment that his heart breaks. What's wrong? It's that that twist that his mouth does. It's just, it's perfect. Uh, it was so good. And it was just like, uh, you know, and that's why it's like, I don't want to be invested in this because don't turn this into that. Like, I don't want this to be the drama about Ben's unrequited pining for Addison. Yeah. But at the same time, this is where the character is. So you have to address it. And they, ah, Raymond did such a good job. Such a good job. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So if one thing that I can pull from the leap end of this, it was that. It was that turn. And once again, we get the leap out, and, and that's that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, so where are we going to find Ben next week? It's just, oh. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you hooked me again, Ray. You hooked me again. So. Yeah. Well, I don't know that uh, have 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 we missed any aspects of this? We got so far into the techno babble. I I just hope we didn't give like the leap stuff um, short shrift. I want to make sure that we've covered all bases. Is there anything that you can think of that we haven't brought up that bears discussion? Just that it, it was cool seeing Jen do some dark webbing. Turn around. Excuse me. If you don't see me dark webbing through the bank security files, and you won't have to go to jail if I get caught. I don't know if dark webbing is is a word, <laughs> but it should be. It's fine. I'm happy for it to be dark webbing. 
I'm not not entirely convinced that a bank vault code from 1980, what was it, 1986, would have leaked in a hack in 1992, um, and then still be kicking around. But but whatever, it doesn't matter because it's a cool scene. It's such a cool scene. It, it, it's it. on par with you know abandoned extension ex machina. Oh, we have an empty storefront next door that just happens to be only you know one layer of sheetrock yeah. away. So it was no more silly than any of the other plot conveniences in the leap end of things. I mean, it got a good line with the menopause. Yeah. Do you know the code or not? I do. It's just, uh, you know, the keypad gets very slippery when you have uh, menopause. Yeah, lots of silly bits of this, but Jen doing some hacking. Good for Jen. Yeah, Jen. Jen dark webbing it up. (laughs) All right, well, um... If you don't have any uh, other things to bring up besides Jen's hacking, uh, why don't we do some final thoughts? Yeah, uh, I think it speaks volumes that it took us 45 minutes into the recording before we started talking about The Leap. E- even though this this episode is not split 75% project, 25% Leap, uh, we just had a lot more to talk about at the project, and that was that was where my heart lay for this one, which is a shame because... The actors are really good. The writing was even good. It's just such a... The bank heist thing is just so... Been there, done that. And it's still... It's a really fun episode. And it, the leap parts I really enjoyed. I was really interested in seeing what was going on at the project. It makes me more interested to see what's going to happen next week in terms of how will they now balance this out? Are they going to shake this out in a way that they, they didn't really fully manage to do in the first season? Yeah, that is a good way to look at this because as I said up top, I feel like this was the other side of the coin, right? You had to have them do mostly stuff back at the project just to where they left us hanging. And if the leap has to suffer because of that, then so be it because we do have to establish certain things. So we got to be in this world for a little bit longer. But do we go forward in a more balanced way or are we slipping back? Are we backsliding into some of the plot conveniences that uh, were a detriment to the first season of the show. I'm hoping that it's the former, not the latter, because, again, I'm seeing so much promise here and things done just differently enough where it, it feels like they're, they're really nailing it still. Um, I, God, please don't let the next six episodes be about Tom losing Addison. Please. If you're going to do it, (laughs) do it this next episode. If you're going to put an end to it, put an end to it, but don't create some kind of bullshit melodrama where we have to watch these three people torture each other. That's not what I'm on board for. I got to hope it doesn't go that way, but uh, all the indications that I've gotten these first two episodes give me more promise that it won't. So I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, that being said, I, I still have optimism and uh, I'm really looking forward to next week. I want to know what Ian's secret is. So they got me with that. And mm. uh, it seems like Addison's back in the chamber. She's saddling up. I mean, she's saying it's for the good of the yeah. team. It's for the good of the project. It's it's just for the greater good. So this is what we do. We are military personnel. This is how we comport ourselves. And this is where I'm needed now. So I wonder what the dynamic between the two of them are going to be going forward. I, I'm, that's really what I'm most interested in the next episode. If Addison mm. does become the hologram again, where do we take this? How do they beat Ben and Addison in this new way? Yeah. That's where my head's at. So, mm. All right. Lots to look forward to. Yeah. So I think that puts uh, an end to this discussion of – what's the name of this one again? <laughs> 
Ben and Teller. Ben and Teller. Yes. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> but don't go anywhere because after the break, we will bring you our interview with Christina Sophia Castro. Stay tuned. The QLP is brought to you by listeners like you. Please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast and give as much as you can. For as little as a dollar a month, you can be a contributor to the quantum leap podcast. It goes to covering our server cost and helps keep the podcast going. Thank you. I'm Jethro. And I'm Matt. And we're the co-hosts of the Drunkard's Walk podcast. Do you know what the St. Pancras Railway Station, Hydrox Cookies, and the Ragamuffin Cat all have in common? They're all pages on Wikipedia. And on Drunkard's Walk, we go from one random Wikipedia page to another only through the internal links of Wikipedia. That's right. And we get those destination pages from guests that come on the show that we talk to and find out why they give us those pages. And there's a little drinking and a lot of arguing. So check out Drunkard's Walk wherever you find your podcasts. Hi, this is Nan Lee. You're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. So, so, um, Matt, if we robbed the bank, would you be like the heavy and I would be the nice robber or would it be the other way around? Who, who do you think is more suited to be like the mean eyed badass that breaks the bank manager's hand I, as opposed to the other one that says, it's going to be okay. Let's let the pregnant ladies out. I, is, is there like a nerdy analytical robber that does a lot of research into the best ways to <laughs> rob banks? Is, 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 is that a role? I, I feel like the heavy is not me. I definitely feel like the heavy is not me. See, this, because it's certainly not me. This is where we need Allison back. Allison, where are you? Hey, everyone, speaking of back, we're back from the break. Uh, we hope you enjoyed those messages. But uh, yeah, I think we'd be ill-suited to rob anything, except for maybe your time out there who are listening. Suckers! <laughs> but certainly worth your time is our interview with Christina Sophia Castro. We promised it to you. And- And here it is. Welcome back to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Albie, and I am so excited to have with us this week, Christina Castro. She is an editor for Quantum Leap. You might know her uh, from such episodes as SOS and this week's episode, Ben and Teller. So I'm very excited to talk to you, Christina. How are you doing? Hi. Thank you for having me, Albie. I, I, it's a pleasure. I really, it really is. Uh, we, we love everybody involved in quantum leap and everybody that does it. And, uh, me being an editor, I'm a professional editor, professional editor, uh, you know, a much, much smaller scale. I get paid to edit podcasts and YouTube videos, (laughs) but you know, I have some idea of what you do. So I'm excited and a fan of, of your work. Very cool. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, editing is editing, I think, no matter no matter where you do it. So Is it always <laughs> arduous? Is it, is it always time-consuming? I, I don't think people <laughs> realize is. how much time it takes to edit anything. I think I think that's right. And I'll, I also, um, people don't realize how repetitive of a task it is. Um, so my loved ones are always like, what are you possibly listening to repeating the same thing over and over and over again i just drive everybody batty but uh it's fun for me so uh i know how i got started in editing it just uh making my own podcast and when you're when you're a podcaster there's no money in it so you just you learn to do everything yeah. yourself so pretty much i earned my ten thousand hours before i started getting paid for it you know working on my own stuff how did you get started in like post-production and and, and editing specifically 
Yeah, I took um, the expensive way. I went to film school. Um, so, uh, yeah, right out of high school, I went to film school. I did an accelerated program, um, got my bachelor's in three years, um, and then immediately started struggling like, uh, everybody else and just, you know, took whatever, uh, work I could get, uh, until I could eventually move down to LA. Um, I'm from Ventura County, so I was up there. Um, and yeah, through some, wild twist of fate i ended up here so i'm very i'm very grateful for that yeah that's awesome i'm um, i was checking out your website and your imdb and i was noticing <laughs> i had seen a lot of things you've edited because i'm one of those oh, uh, cool. like film nerds that uh can't wait okay. for the movie to be over when i have a blu-ray or dvd and i just want to oh, get to the, the, features the, and the stuff. stuff yeah yeah and i recognized a lot of the things you edited uh what's it like yeah, uh cool. doing that kind of work that actually was uh, very cool. I did that. That was kind of my how I met um, my contacts into being able to switch from that type of work to scripted television. Um, so yeah, I, it was it was actually really cool. As you know, obviously a film fan myself, to be able to to watch all of the behind the scenes. What so what I did was. Behind the scenes, uh, EPK, uh, DVD special features, marketing material, uh, creative content is what we call it. And, um, yeah, it was just a really great gateway to watch how professional filmmaking is done and, you know, to learn, like, how stories are made, you know, because during that time, we were, we were really fortunate and, I say, like, it doesn't exist anymore. It still exists. Those people are still there doing great work. Um, but uh, it was, you know, they trusted us with full feature length movies that were in the editorial process at the time. So um, we got to see how, I mean, it, it depends on what your interests are, right? But I got to see how the edits changed throughout, right? As I was updating my pieces, marketing pieces for the internet and, and TV and stuff. So it was really actually very exciting and, and very cool to watch that stuff. And now to be on the other side of it is, is just like so special to me. Um, are, are you a nerd like me? Do you, do you, do you like uh, get excited when you see all these like famous people that you're editing, like David Tennant or Sigourney Weaver? Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> actually, I am a huge doctor who fan uh and david Tennant is my doctor so that was really really cool i didn't get to meet him obviously but um as an editor and i'm sure you can relate to this Mm. you you feel like you know the people that you're watching in like Mm. a totally non-creepy maybe to some (laughs) people creepy way um and so it's really cool spending time with them so to speak um so yeah, I got to I got to cut uh David Tennant, I got to cut Johnny Depp a few times. Oh wow. And yeah, it was lots of Disney stuff. Uh it was a lot mm-hmm. of fun. That job was a lot of fun. Very a cool. lot of work, <laughs> but a lot of fun. <laughs> a lot of work. <laughs> Billy Crystal, all kinds of people. Uh yeah, really, Billy Crystal, really John Goodman, yeah. Yeah, yeah very I, cool stuff. Do you get surprised uh, with those kind of things? Like when when you're editing those? Because I know for my job, like you know, like one night I might edit LeVar Burton another night, Terry Crews for something on different podcasts or something. I'm just, sure. Oh, that's who I get to edit tonight. Do you get surprised by it? 
or with your work? Yes. Uh, is it more of like um, you kind of know what project you're going into and who you're going to be cutting? Both. Yeah. So both. So um, like going into this show, we, unless we're looking at the call sheets and looking very closely, paying very close attention, um, the guest roles, et cetera, um, can be a surprise to us. So um, we've got some really great guest roles coming up this season. Um, and last season we got to do uh, SOS, which had mm. Superman in it, which was just like, just the coolest thing. Everybody was so excited to see him on our show and he did such a great job. And it was, it was really, it was really a pleasure. It's really a pleasure getting to watch all these different um, actors, you know, work and see their process. Great, great action packed episode too. Very good. Um, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Uh, how did you make the jump from uh, doing like featurettes and different things like that to uh, television, like full episodes? Yeah. Um, so that job that I had, you know, you just, you make contacts, you know, you're in it long enough and you meet people, you know, so you make friends, you meet people through work, you meet people through school. Um, and I just started telling people what I wanted to do. I wasn't, necessarily unhappy with what I was doing. Um, but I felt like I had a dream, right. Or goals to at least try to attain, right. And achieve. So I just started telling people, um, and I eventually parted ways with that company, got into reality television for a little while where I was editing that. Um, and I got to sort of bypass the assistant editor role in that world. Um, and then one day I, I got a phone call from a friend who her, you know, I told her what I wanted to do eventually. And she knew people and she was on a show and they needed to fill a slot. And I, I showed up and finished out the show for them and then just kept on, you know, getting hired for other shows. So, um, no, that's how it worked out for me. I feel like uh, just it's it can be luck. It could be contacts. It could be, you know, it's always involves hard work and tenacity, but <laughs> it's, it's a lot of hard work. And, and you know, it's it's weird. It's it's a job that you have that if you do your job correctly, no one thinks about it the whole time. Exactly. Yeah. So what's that that's, like? That's the goal, right? They call us. um an invisible art, visible artists, mm -hmm. right? Um, and right, if we do our job properly, then you won't ever be able to tell, right? The goal is to keep you immersed in the story um, and and guide you through guide you through the storyline. I guess essentially, right? Make it translate it so that it makes sense for the audience. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> um, our, our, our listeners, they might not know like the different positions in the editing department. When we see the credits roll by at the end, or you get a credit up front at the beginning, which is awesome. Uh, but like there's yeah. assistant editors, there's, you know, special effects editors, there's all these different editors. Right. Uh, yeah. do you all work together and, and who does what, who's responsible for what? Yeah. So I'm, uh, what is known as a picture editor. Um, and then, yeah, you're right. We also have music editors, sound editors, um, 
you know, just dialogue editors, <laughs> all this ADR, everything. Right. Um, and we do, yeah, we do work together. So, um, the role of a picture editor is to, we receive the footage, uh, while they're filming. So the next, the day after day one really is when we start for real. Um, and we just start getting whatever footage from the scene that they shot the previous day. Um, and we know because we're, we're on the schedule and we know exactly what they're shooting and when. Um, and then we just, assemble it according to the script um and we adhere pretty closely to the script that's called an editor's cut right mm. that's kind of our first pass and that that is really to just show the show the way that it was intended originally to be shown so um and that's what we present to the director and then we will include sound effects music those those are all choices that that me and um, my assistant editor, Jackie, um, those are all decisions that we make together. And um, it sort of informs what the music and the sound uh, uh, design will be uh, during the final product. So our, our job really as editors and assistant editors are to make make an episode that nobody has to use their imagination anymore, right? Like it's, it's, it's viewable and watchable and, and sounds as close to, we don't do as good of a job, right? Mm. Uh, we are, we're limited in, in some of our, our capabilities with our editing software. And that's why we have those other professionals. And on this show are just our music team and our sound team are just so, so excellent. I just, it's my favorite day going to playback and, and, and watching it, you know, um, it's, it's really a lot of fun. They're really great. Really great. There's some, some good sound work in there. Uh, so, uh, as I understand it, you have a editor's cut, a director's cut, and maybe a producer's or final cut. Are those the same thing? How, what's the whole process? How many different cuts before it airs? There are uh, many, <laughs> <laughs> very, very, very many. Um, my, my mentor likes to tell me we are in the notes business. Hmm. So we'll do an editor's cut, um, which is, which will last the duration of the shoot, which on our show is typically about eight days, give or take, plus okay. a few days, give or take. And then, um, that goes to the director. Um, they're given their allotment of days, four days or so that goes to the producers. They take as much time as they need, really, you know, schedule permitting. And then it'll go to the studio network. Um, and then. It, it, it goes out just dozens of times before <laughs> anything airs on TV. Yeah. And then everybody, you know, sort of gives their ideas and, and collaborates on how to make it better. Oh, good. A lot of notes. Yeah. I, I get a lot of notes as well. So I know what you're talking about. It's so nice when you don't get that many though. Right. You know, I, it depends. I've definitely yeah. had, I've, I've been on both sides of it. Right. We all have like a, mm -hmm. The, it's always great when you hear no notes, right? But then it's like, are you sure? <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe somebody else wants to contribute something to mm -hmm. this. Um, and so, yeah, there will be, it, it really depends on, um, what state the script is in, mm -hmm. um, and just any issues, uh, that they might have had during production. You know, sometimes things don't go as planned and you sort of have to adapt and, and work around it. So uh, sometimes, you know, 
there is no time and we get one or two takes and those are the choices that we have to choose from. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, speaking with Dean, he was saying that, some, you know, some episodes come in long uh, on the first cut uh, and, you know, they got to cut what, nine, 10 minutes out. I think I've heard in some cases mm-hmm. uh, when you're, when you're putting the show together and you're following the script, I think is what you said pretty much. Um, are you, yeah. are you like in the back of your head? Are you thinking you got to get under a certain amount or are you just trying to get as good as a story as possible to start with, to give the director and producer room to cut what they think they should cut? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, both. We, um, so yeah, like I said, we, we try to adhere to the script as best as possible. Um, our jobs as editors are to present the script. And, you know, directors will will make choices that we have either spoken about before they're in the script or just by watching the footage are very obvious that they'll want in there. So, yeah, our our, our editors cut are typically for episode two. It was quite a bit over. It was about 11 minutes over oh, wow. time. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, not something I'm very proud to admit, mm-hmm. but it's <laughs> it is what it is. And yeah, together we just. We took the time out and um, I think it plays really well. I think we were able to keep the tension and actually it, it plays a lot better, you know, with more pace to it. Mm-hmm. Is uh, like the footage that you use and stuff like preserved. So maybe one day if they were to do like say director's cut or editor's cut releases, the, the material's still there. Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, so we find, we finalize the final cut. Um, but that footage, especially nowadays, everything's digital. So we back everything up on hard drives, LTO tape. And if at any point we need to restore it, we can. And we archive all of our old versions and we archive all of our avid projects and stuff. So mm-hmm. all it would really take would be a crew, a post crew to come in and plug in the hard drive, turn over the director's cut sequence and send it to online i mean it would be it's work right they'd have yeah, to they'd have to color it, it again mix it and, and color it, it and all that stuff right they can't just take the original and sometimes if it's close enough to the original you can sort of get away with slotting in what's new um i digress so yeah it, yeah. it does exist and um i've heard some good things have been cut for time oh so. yeah yeah it's it's always a challenge it, it is really just like you don't want to let leave anything on the you know on the floor as they say um and just sort of you know you you see something good and you you laugh at it or you're touched by it you want everybody else to experience it too um so it is hard letting go of some stuff and it's that's it's it's probably one of the biggest challenges i would say is just is is letting go of it and just trying to make the most like succinct you know story that you can Mm. Mm, cool cool uh i want to nerd out a little bit i want to ask you some technical questions that i'm just curious about like we've seen some behind the scenes footage or you know pics on instagram and stuff what kind of what kind of files are you working with uh are you editing in 4k or or are you just you know you're editing like um what proxy files yeah we're editing proxy files uh so at when when so when they film the show, they uh, DI will upload it um, or send a hard drive. It used to be to mm-hmm. the lab, such as, I don't know, Technicolor or somebody. And they will uh, apply the LUTs and sync it with the audio. 
and upload it to a server where um, it just sort of magically appears uh, on my computer. It doesn't really. It, it involves mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, behind the scenes technical work by Jackie. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it just it just appears. And, and Avid uh, works on MXF file format. So it is technically a proxy file. And so we're, we're running it like, I don't know, the DNX 36. So are you wor- working mostly at home? Yeah, uh, we do have offices at Universal. Um, and we do still have the flexibility to, to work from home. Um, so I did all, pretty much all of season two, what we've done so far from in here. Um, and then I live very nearby universal. So I can sort of, you know, pop in as needed or as wanted, right? It's our, uh, post-production department is unique in that we are located on the, not on the stage, but on the, the lot where they they shoot the show. So um, we're very close proximity. Usually they shoot in somewhere else, Canada or Chicago or somewhere, um, and post-production is here. But this show, they shoot on the lot for the most part and locally. And then, uh, so yeah, we get to visit set and stuff, which is oh wow, so fun. Yeah, it's super cool to get to watch them do that stuff. Everyone I've spoken to from Quantum Leap, they seem to be very kind and supportive of each other. Do you get that feeling working with this team? Yes, it really is. Um, It really is. We all feel, I think, very fortunate uh, in that we all kind of nurture each other. It's, It's a very, I think all of TV is, it's all very collaborative, right? But it, the, on the show, I think it's just, it's so big and it can get complicated at times. And so it's really important to, to team up and make sure that we're all making the same show, right? Because it's so easy to just sort of sit in your little dark room and forget about the world and only focus on the task at hand. And, um, it's, it's great to put your mark on something, but also, you know, we all want to make the same show. So, um, we all, we all, you know, communicate outside of work. We, we're, we're just, we're all great friends. We all support each other. And it's really a really fun um, post-production team, but also the production, the production people are really cool too. That's so awesome. Um, uh, you, you, uh, you edited SOS. I see the poster behind you. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those are always fun. Um, and uh, of course you edited this week's episode that everybody just watched Ben and Teller. Well, ben and Teller. You're editing the same show, Quantum Leap, for those two episodes, but they're two very different episodes because one's like an action yeah. thriller and one's more of an intimate, like, um, people episode inside of a bank. There's right. some action. There's some action. But what are some of the yeah. differences? But you want to keep the show the same show, but it's also different genre, almost different period also. Yeah. Does that yeah, affect that's what, It's a very challenge. It, that's what makes the show um it presents an an a unique challenge which is every episode is, is in its own time era um and genre so we are introducing new characters every week um we have to make sure the audience is invested in those characters right in order for the episode to work um but you're right you know like um each episode is almost like a bottle episode in a way, um, which makes it a lot of fun, right? Like you get to play with different genres 
like each each new episode that you that you get to work on um but also you know it's a very it's a very tight schedule so <laughs> you have to make decisions very quickly mm, very cool uh Another random question I had, uh, you know, we've, we've been very fortunate here at the Quantum Leap podcast to see very early cuts of episodes, uh, like with stock footage and different things, temporary special yeah. effects, maybe, or just a card that might say something right. going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, when you're editing, are you like in charge of finding stock shots that might not be the final ones, but one that works for the edit at the time, or is that like your assistant or how does that work? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm not in charge of it per se. I, the, the assistant or our production or post-production coordinator or, uh, post PA, you know, Gabby and Esmeralda, um, I sort of will say, you know, it's either scripted or we need. And most of the time they're, they're, they're way ahead of it than way more ahead of it than I am. They're already working on it. And like, you know, so I'll, I'll get to it like, oh yeah, we need a, you know, a skyline shot, whatever. We don't use a whole lot of stock in this show, but you know, sometimes mm-hmm. we do. Um, and they're already, they're already finding it, you know? <laughs> Very cool. So yeah, I, we have a team of people and then we also have somebody on the studio side who, um, has stock that we, that we can use from the universal library and stuff. So. Very cool. Uh, as an editor, do sometimes you get an idea that you maybe think, oh, this would make that great, but I don't have it and maybe communicate that to a producer or director or something, or is it too late? Um, most of the, I'm going to say, uh, sometimes it is too late, but if it depends on where we are in the shooting schedule, mm-hmm. um, say for instance, they didn't have time on the day to get an insert, right. And it's integral to the storyline. They'll, they'll go and pick it up. Right. And, uh, mm-hmm. so, so yeah. So during the editor's cut, if we don't, we, it's very rare that we have every piece of footage that we're going to use, um, at the very start of the process. Sometimes, you know, we wait until the very, very end to, to get something cleared and slotted in and send it out the door. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, yeah, that part's kind of fun. How many versions do you go through? Like when you're naming your final, is it like final version two, final, really? Oh, final? Yeah. How does that work? We, no, no, no. <laughs> there's a, there's a naming structure that okay. we, that we adhere to. Every show has kind of its own unique naming structure, but it's pretty much like if we're in the editor's cut, this is editor's cut, you know, work in progress. And, um, you know, then it goes out, that's the editor's cut, you know, and then the director's cut, and then we'll do director's cut one, two, three, whatever, however many versions they do, et cetera. So, uh, internally, yeah, we name it, but there's <laughs> for each episode from the very start. I mean, I've got probably, geez, 10, 20 sequences, you know, and you're always duplicating because anytime you want to try something new, you know, it's at least for me, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty non-committal until I have to be. So, um, <laughs> you know, you make different versions and you, you test them out and see which ones work. You know, you, you, you ask your assistant, Hey, can you watch this? Or one of the other, other editors. And, um, yeah, that's sort of how we work together. Oh, that's cool. Other editors and uh, you get another pair of eyes on it. Cause sometimes you get too close to it, right? All the time. I would say, yeah, it's very easy to, to sort of dig into it and just you're, you're, you know, this close to it. Um, but 
uh, yeah, we, we bounce it off each other. And another way that we work together is the leap scenes. Um, so the leap scene for, I don't think episode two has a leap, has a leap scene. At, scene at no, I don't think so. No. Yeah, it doesn't. It used to. Um, okay. And so what we'll get that scene from the editor who cut that scene. And in our case, it was Piper. And um, uh, Martin usually will adjust it how he wants it. And then that will go back to the editor whose episode it originated in. But since it airs after mine, you know, um, they sort of, so that, that sort of helps us maintain consistency. Um, and also a really great way for us to collaborate with each other and see what each other are doing. Um, steal ideas, maybe. <laughs> How does that work? Like, I, I know there's probably you, what's the union like for, uh, say, uh, television editors is it, and like, the, the, is there things to where like, uh, yes, you worked on a part of an episode, but you're not credited for it. But do you still get paid for it? Like little things like that, that leap in, leap outs that might not be uh, from that episode, you know, little little parts. Uh, yeah, I don't think I think that there is a rule. Um and in order for you, I think you have to, don't quote me on this, but I think mm-hmm. you have to do like a certain percentage, 50% of an episode in order to be credited. And then there's, um, there's a process involving paperwork where you, you know, you, you know, you have to ask the original editor, Hey, is it okay if we share credit? They always say yes, because, you know, we're all cool, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's the process on that. And uh, with that, with uh, talking about the uh, unions and strikes and stuff, how did that affect your livelihood? Like, uh, if they're not filming, right, and writing, you you don't have as much to edit, right? <laughs> how does that work? I was that's that's true. I was fortunate um, in that I was on through episode eight, which is going to be our mid season finale. Um, so I got to stay on through, you know, mid July basically. Um, so the writers went on strike. We went on hi- production, went on hiatus, which was a pre-planned hiatus. Um, and then by the time that was supposed to end, they were on strike. Um, we were able to finish our episodes, you know, um, we were for, far enough along in the process where it didn't really hinder. And then, yeah, I've just been hanging out during the summer, um, both anxious and not so anxious to get back into it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it, it definitely has affected all of us really. Um, and everybody on the show is we're we're starting to get the ball rolling again. Um, getting ready to come back for part two of season two. Um, and I think that's just contingent on the SAG negotiation since WGA ratified their deal. Right, so, right. um, that's very good news. And mm-hmm. hopefully it looks good for the actors too. And we can all sort of get back to, to making our show. <laughs> awesome. Can't wait. Uh, one thing I was very uh, happy about is that the first three episodes were done and out to the media so early, which means, uh, you know, the post-production is really ahead of the game, which is great instead of like down to the last minute almost. Um, right. Uh, how far ahead are you? Are is uh, eight already edited pretty much? Eight's edited, delivered. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Good, uh, good, yeah, good. it's ready to go. I I think that everything has been 
everything has been delivered for part one of season two and um the the planning we're in the planning process with um starting up production for part two that's amazing that's awesome so uh hopefully i'll get to see some of those soon uh yeah <laughs> uh me I've too seen up, <laughs> i've seen up to three i'm looking forward to the the other uh five of the season that'll be good. yeah it's a it's a really special season yeah um, so let's talk a little bit about Ben and Teller because everybody just watched that. Um, presumably, if they're watching this, hopefully. Uh, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> if not, go watch it. Do you remember anything like uh, any anecdotes or anything from sitting in the editing room and editing uh, Ben and Teller? Anything out of the ben ordinary Teller, or fun? Um, ben and Teller was a fun episode because it was pretty straightforward. Um, it propels the story forward, but we're also kind of doing our own thing, right. And sort of having fun, you know? Um, and it, it was a lot of fun. Um, Ian being the hologram is always just so fun and just watching them work and Ian and Ray bouncing off each other is, is hilarious. And they just sort of ad lib and, and, just have a fun time. You know, uh, we had a really great director, Kristen, um, and she did like a really phenomenal job. Um, she's somebody who also comes from an editing background, um, and somebody who was in my orbit in, in Martin's orbit, everybody's, you know, he had worked with her before. Um, and I finally got a chance to work with her and it was seamless and great. And she just made like a, just a great episode. So, I felt very comfortable and, and, and confident being in her hands. That's good. Yeah. They say, uh, what do they say? A, a good director is a good editor because they know the pieces they need to get pretty much. Right? I think so. In my, in my limited experience, <laughs> it, 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 it really is the sign um, of a good director. I think when they can edit as they're, shooting right or as they're in pre-production um their blocking is also very important and a really great director will give you only what they want you to show right um and sort of weigh your hand almost in in what you use where um and the role of an editor i think is to help bridge what the director wants um, and what the showrunners want and, and sort of meld them together and, and, and make our show. Uh, there's a, am, am I right in understanding there's two different director of photographies on quantum leap? I, I know Anna, uh, Anna, yeah. Anna shot yeah. our show. Right. Yeah. Um, ben and Teller. it's actually funny. I think, uh, that, the shot where um, Ray Ben sits at Lorena's desk at the first time, and he's sort of mm -hmm. getting his bearings and seeing what the date is, et cetera. The picture of um, the mother and the daughter. I think that is actually Anna and her mom. Um, really? I didn't yeah, notice that. I think that's yeah, it. I, I think that's that. a picture of them. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's really that. special. I, I, I just love it when, when we get to participate like that, you know, mm -hmm. Are there are there some edits, not necessarily on Quantum Leap, but some that are better than others that maybe you might have the about the right amount of footage you need, and sometimes you have way too much footage, and it's like a nightmare. <laughs> Do you have any yeah. of those stories? 
Yeah. Yeah. That's basically, that was basically, I don't want to say nightmare. That's, that's not, uh, <laughs> but that was, uh, uh, I would say episode 114 was, uh, mm-hmm. I was drowning in footage. Uh, Chris Grismer did just, he's a beast, man. He just, <laughs> he, I don't know how he does it, but he shot that episode. It was such a challenge. You know, they were on the USS Montgomery, very mm-hmm. tight, compact spaces, very dark. Um, and just, just so, so much footage. Um, good coverage, uh, a lot of coverage, <laughs> lots of actually, yeah. Um, yeah. which is impressive given the restraints that he had. Um, so yeah, definitely there's times where you're drowning in it and you just don't have the time and you just, but your, your job is to, you know, you have to watch everything. So yeah, you just sort of, you know, make it work somehow. Just those are the times where you have to be committal, come, you know, committed to your decisions and um, just trust that, you know, your instincts are right. And if they're not, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not the end of the world. Somebody has your back, right? Like it will, somebody will help you make it better. Um, And that's, what's really great on this type of editing versus some editing that I've done in the past with where a lot of it, all of it was written and edited by myself, right? I just get interviews or whatever. And I'm sure you can relate to this and Mm -hmm. you just have to, they say, okay, here's your two hour interview with so-and-so. And we want to show them talking about the stunts you have a week. <laughs> so like, you know, and then it's just, that's it. And maybe if you're lucky, you get transcripts to the interviews and um, you just, you, you dive right in. Um, and on this type of thing, uh, everybody has their own role and their own um, sense of responsibility to the project. And, and um, so we, you know, like I say, we all got each other's back and, and you just got to stick, you got to stick to it and get through. <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, on so, the other hand, there are some scenes that where, you know, they're just wham bam, mm-hmm. you know, and like like some of the HQ scenes, they can be challenging mm-hmm. because there are rules with HQ. You know, we want to make sure that it's always moving and and engaging, and you know, um, but I mean, they, you know, Malcolm and then Lisa and Ernie and everybody, they just mm-hmm. they have it down, so they make yeah. it easy for us. That's awesome. Uh, so a few more questions before we go. I'm so, um, I want to be more respectful of your time. But I'm just very interested in this whole process. Oh, I got all the time. I got all the time <laughs> in the world. Um, what, so what's your process like? I know I like to like look at all the stuff I have first and then like, I kind of pick the pieces out in my mind while I'm watching it and then try to do a rough edit. Is that kind of like your process? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'll be editing in my head as I'm watching the dailies down. Um, so my process will be, I'll get the scene, uh, right. We'll get, I don't know, four or five, six scenes from the previous day, uh, and the corresponding paperwork, um, notes from the the script supervisor, et cetera. And just sort of, you know, assemble the scene, um, as they come to us. And then, um, I typically like to just make my skeleton, Right. I'm going to I'm going to have it all the dialogue there have maybe shots that I want to use um, and just toss it in there. And then 
I will move on because you don't typically have, you don't ever have all day to work on one scene unless it's like sort of like a pinnacle scene where it's got a lot of moving parts and stuff and they, they shoot it over multiple days. Um, and that, you know, you sort of have to de- dedicate more time to. So you kind of have to move on quickly. Um, and then later is I'll hand it to Jackie. Um, and we have, you know, we have great, uh, and great editorial team, great assistant editors, um, Ian Mayberry, Piper Cruz, me, and then, um, Catherine, Katie and Jackie are our assistant editors. And they really just, you know, she will do her sound work on it and she's great. Like I can ask her to, um, go in and, Hey, I'm having trouble finding the right music. I want it. I just can't, I don't have the time to go through and listen to everything. This is what I want the vibe to be. Um, and then magically she will find it and cut it in and I don't ever have to worry about it again. Um, uh, so it's, it's kind of a multi-step process. And then once we're far enough along into the shooting schedule, maybe we've got like a day or two left. Um, is really when your episode starts to take shape and it's during that time where you start to add music, at least for me. Um, I wait until pretty much the very end to add music and then I, I let the music help propel the, the pace of the show, if that, if that makes sense. Just for, I think from my, my background in marketing, um, it was very music heavy. And so I just sort of, and music is so, so important, I think, to every show. We have a lot of it in ours. So um, it's just about finding the right vibe and going through and just watching it as many times as you have time to. And if you can watch it with, you know, together as a team, um, it's even better. And then you just sort of, you know, it used to be before we started working from home, we would all be working in the office together. And, you know, we could just sit on the couch in the office have a big TV, watch it, you know, as though we're watching it at home and, you know, make our notes, et cetera, but uh, not so much anymore. So, yeah, I, I wait until kind of the end to sort of start taking my air out and, you know, and then going in, we already know what works and doesn't work for Martin and Dean, right? Um, with some, you know, trial and error. Of course, every every episode is different. Um, so that really helps us sort of uh, inform our decisions and, and make them kind of quickly. Are the, are the needle drops, uh, in, in the script or are you picking them or is it collaborative or how does that work? Cause there's some expensive songs playing. They gotta be expensive. Yeah. They're very good songs. In the, they the first are. Season so far. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, some of them are scripted, uh, and some of them aren't, um, sometimes, there's not one scripted, but you know, you get to a point in the episode where you think, man, this would be really, this would benefit from a needle drop. Is there money in the budget? Um, and then we'll go to the, the music supervisor and ask them, uh, for options and they'll choose what's available to us and, and within our budget and we can whittle it down from there. Um, so if it's added later, usually it's a collaborative process. You know, they'll send us stuff. We'll pre- present options to Martin um, and then he'll choose. Right. Um, so, yeah, there were there have been some some needle drops that I've, I've tried to get in there and they just <laughs> they won't stick. But <laughs> maybe one day, maybe one day. Uh, maybe so, one day. Yeah. So people have seen uh, SOS and they've seen uh, Ben and Teller. 
you got a couple more episodes coming in this first part of season two without any spoilers. Right. Can you just say something about them? Oh man, they're so big. Like, uh, yeah, big, <laughs> good, exciting, something to look forward to. Yes. Uh, ben goes to some really cool places. Um, he, he leaves the country uh, mm-hmm. and we meet some uh, really interesting characters that, that really challenge um Ben and Addie specifically. Um, and yeah, we get to see just witch hunts and, and, and uh, Egypt and the LA riots. And we just go everywhere. And it's just, I'm really excited for part two of season of season two, because I can't wait to see like, I mean, season eight, or episode eight, they, they shot in Egypt and that was just so cool for me uh personally and just getting to watch it and that presented its own challenges but the final product is really fun i think really special do you um i i know you're seeing everything as it's coming in unedited so it's much different than what we see but uh are are you still getting like sucked into the story sometimes all the time yeah especially when uh it's it's yeah especially when it's something that um we have a lot of emotion in this mm. show um they mm. like to That's really lean on the yeah the like the character connections with our main cast and also our guest casts um so that's always when we were doing 14 you know it was such a special storyline having Addie with her dad you know and her dad being Brandon was just extra cool on top of that. Um, so watching Addie sort of internally navigate that, like, why was he so hard on me when he's like really just this big softy, you know, and, um, watching Ben support her through it. Um, and just, yeah, I, 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 I love, I agree with you in that the guest roles are, are kind of the fun part, right? Cause you get to, introduce new characters and, and, and play with new genres and concepts, you know, depending on what, what's going on with them. So um, episode two was fun because our challenge there was um, since it's, it's not a grand or episode, it kind of pumps the brake a little bit coming out of episode one um, was to maintain the tension throughout you know, while also balancing that, that sort of gut wrenching moment, right. That comes on, comes in at the end where, um, can I, can I say they've seen it, right. So mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, Ben just really only has to look at Addie and mm-hmm. he knows like heartbreaking, heartbreaking, oh, oh man, heartbreaking, you know, I cry. and now where as an audience, yeah, like me too. And yeah. as an audience, like, where do you, um, it just, we all ship batty mm-hmm. on our show mm-hmm. is what we call them. Um, mm-hmm. and so seeing them challenged is, is challenging for us too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Job, job well done. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And I didn't, you know, that part did not change. Um, they just, Caitlin and Ray are, they just, they knew what to do. Kristen knew what to do. Um, I, I cut it together and 
that is what aired. So <laughs> it um, really was perfect, I think, from, from, you know, the word action, I think. So uh, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how Ben and Abby sort of navigate that uh, in the future. Uh, one thing I wonder is, um, do you save the the bloopers? Is there going to be blooper gag reels down the line? And oh, how man. do you do that? When, is it something that makes you laugh? Yes. Or? All the time. Uh, Jackie gets to see them more often than me because um, Jackie's job is to process the dailies um, and sort of what we, what we call mark them up for the editor. Um, so she will, uh, she will make a notation whenever they say action is very boring and technical, I think for somebody who's not interested, but um, so she sees every minute of footage and I see, you know, I will scrub past, you know, action and cut, but for the most part, I see the action and the cut. Um, so yes, the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Um, there is in every project, there is a bin that we save of bloopers and, Anytime we come across them, we subclip them, toss them in there, and at the end of the season, Universal gets them. You know, as part of as part of our um, our archiving duties. So hopefully, there will be a physical release, and and everybody gets to see that stuff because man, Mason and they're just Mason and Ray and even Ernie. I mean, they're just. And Rissa, they're just all of them are just they have so much fun and it's really fun watching them just vibe on set, you know, because we get to see, you know, when they're not working, so to speak, they're working, but when they're not acting and. Um, yeah, they're all just hilarious, especially Mason. Uh, everybody loves them and their their ad libs and just their whole vibe and personality. Um, do do you still watch the episodes when they air? Even oh, yeah. though you time, <laughs> yeah. Is that yeah, your time to relax yeah. and enjoy? Or are you still like looking no. at your work, <laughs> making sure everything? Still, and... You know, it's both. I I I like to watch it on the TV any opportunity I get as uh, part of the process. It really helps um, when you detach from and leave the environment of like the edit room. Um, and actually like sit on the couch and watch it as a viewer. It changes your perspective and you can, you can see it sort of more in line with how the audience might see it. Um, and that's really, really helpful. But also I like to watch them after the air, after they air and just sort of like, almost like, uh, you're watching like, a like your own sports game, right. Mm -hmm. And trying to like improve your game. Right. So I, I like to watch and just sort of see what made that episode special, right? Like, man, that director really was able to nail this, that, and the other thing. And look at how beautifully that turned out on screen. Um, and then also like, you know, oh man, I wish that I hadn't, I wish that I had cut just a hair later, or I wish that that line was on camera, stuff like that. And you're just always, I feel like the work is never done. You always want, you're always going to, unless they take it away from me, I'm always going to be whittling away at it. And um, I think that's, that's a big part of the process for a lot of people and um, learning to let it go and enjoy it for what it is and move on to the next thing is, is, is a challenge in itself, but also really cool. You know, it's, it's such a cool job to like 
participate in making something that people love, you know? Um, and this show is unique to me and my career in that, like it, along with another one other show, maybe that I've, I've worked on has a big fan base and, um, people really care about it and there's an internet presence of fans and we get to see the feedback and um, we're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Christina Castro. Thank you so much for joining me. On thank the you so Mike much. Podcast. This was so cool. I was so cool for me. Uh, you're, you, you you do what I want to do one day, so that's very cool that I got. Well, I hope I hope you I hope you can. It really is um it really is a special thing, and I feel very fortunate. Um, especially you know we're we're so lucky to to work on. It's such a fun show. It's very challenging in a lot of ways. It's massive, but um, man, when you get that footage, you know, and like you see the super cool shot of the 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 ship and the cannons are not really going off but in the final one they're going off yeah, and you know yeah. we make it seem like they are and it's just mm -hmm. it's a dream come true and it really is it, i can't wait to get back to it wasn't that such a fun interview and i was right they geeked out about all the editing -y stuff um <laughs> i would have been completely lost but it, it was so cool how between them they kind of they, they explained a lot of the a lot of the technical stuff certainly in a way that i understood so i felt like i got a i got a really cool insight and she's such a nice lady so sweet yeah, so much fun and so sweet and so generous with her time. And yeah, I just, again, loving all the behind the scenes stuff that we're getting so far this season. The actor strike is actually, you know, it's, it's treating me pretty well because we're speaking to people that I think might have been second in line had we had like the main guest cast to speak to for this episode like we had over the course of the first season we had so many great gets when it came to the guest stars yeah I feel like a lot of this stuff kind of backslid it took second fiddle and then we just we weren't able to do it at all or it only showed up on the YouTube channel if we were lucky enough to be able to do it and had the time to do it now I feel like we're just you know we had got nothing but time and we're luxuriating in these great finds like this this is the kind of stuff when you listen to this podcast 10, 15 years from now, if the internet still exists, however you're listening, it might be, you know, <laughs> just directly beamed into your brain at this point, if you're listening way that far in the future. But uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> This is the kind of stuff that I think has the staying power, um, more so than the guest cast. No shade on the guest cast, but I'm on record saying this anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah. so yeah, good stuff. And Christina, thank you once again for your time and for a lovely interview. But that's not all the good stuff we have, Matt, because Ooh. get ready, we have feedback. Yay! Yeah. Unfortunately, no new patrons this time. Come on, people, step it up. We know more <laughs> of you are listening because of the new show. So that's patreon.com slash Podcast. But we did hear plenty from both uh, casual listeners and from our patrons. So uh, do you recall last time, Matt, we got an email from a certain John Smith who we didn't even oh. know if his real name was John Smith? <laughs> How could I forget John Smith? John Smith, who said that he didn't even know there was an original Quantum Leap. Which I, I guess is feasible. 
apparently it's more than feasible because he sent us a response and uh, he addresses both of those things. Wow. Okay. Yeah, quite readily. So uh, I think I can take this one. It's pretty short. But uh, John wrote back and replied to the comments that we made on his comments. Uh, Hello, all. My name actually is John Smith. I'm used to people not believing in me. (laughs) Sorry. I, I feel bad for laughing. I'm used to people not believing in me. In me. I keep saying that like he's a ghost or something. <laughs> no one believes in the legend of John Smith, the man who claimed he didn't know Quantum Leap. <laughs> no, he. so he does right. I've lived with the name my entire life and I'm used to people not believing me. I watched part two of the premiere and managed to finish all of season one of the original. If you recall, Matt, he said that he'd only gotten halfway through Genesis. Yes, so must must have been confused. Yeah, so, and so he says, yeah, I watched uh, part two of the premiere and managed to finish all of season one of the original, but I haven't started season two. Season one had nine episodes, well, eight if the two-parter counts as one. All the others have 22, much more of a commitment. So I'll take your advice and jump to the episodes that I find the summaries of interesting. <laughs> And in case you were wondering, my favorite episode of season one was How the Test Was Won, and my least favorite was Genesis. Kind regards, John. So, yeah, if you recall, we told John to maybe just go to Color of Truth, and if he didn't like that, he's probably not going to like the original series. But he did stick it out for all, all eight. So he saw, I think, some of the worst and some of the best. Now, I'm back to not thinking he's real, because he says the fa- <laughs> his favorite episode was How the... What? What, John? The man, he's beating his own drum and he's marching to it. And <laughs> a wise man once told me, when when I'm reviewing the episodes, do not uh, find something to love. Do not slate the episodes because every episode is somebody's favourite. And I never quite believed that until just now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was me telling you that, and I ripped it off from the mission log, guys. So. <laughs> I think we have Ken Ray to thank for that. Thanks, Ken Ray. And uh, (laughs) thank you, John, for getting back and uh, convincing us that you are indeed real, that we can indeed believe in you. And uh, yeah, it's yeah. So, wow. Tess, huh? With Widowmaker and everything. Well, I think the the only thing I'd say to John is by all means, jump around. It's an anthology show. It absolutely suits maybe leave the season five ones until later on, even if they look interesting. Not because they're bad, but because season five does have a bit more of a tendency to refer back to previous episodes. There's a little bit more cohesive tissue there. The first four seasons, though, flip-flop out of order. Have fun with it. Yeah, unless you're talking about like Shock Theater, Leap Back, or Leap Home 1 and 2, that kind of stuff. But even so, I mean, Leap Back, you can watch and just go, uh, okay, all right, it sounds like something crazy happened at the end of the last leap. And there's there's not actually anything more to it from Shock Theatre that carries through. Oh, that's true. And maybe the score is on Sam's samples. Which I didn't even notice until uh, like a year ago. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Not even HD until a year ago. Wow. It, it, It was last year I first saw those, only because somebody pointed them out to me. See, so, John, even we're finding new things to discover in the original series. So, yeah. yeah. Flip around. You'll eventually see it all. It'll suck you in. This I vow. This I think uh, I can say with pretty much certainty. 
you'll wind up working your way through all of them. So I hope yeah. you enjoy them. Thank you for getting back to us and letting us know that um, you're a person and we see you. As I mentioned at the outset, though, we did hear from our patrons about this took too long. I post an official discussion thread over on our Patreon site and a number of people responded. I'll take the first two, Matt. Okay. Our patron Max Blasca writes, I really liked the episode. I love the solution to the landmine. Thought that was very creative. Ash is embracing my inherent cringe arc rights. I had a great time. It strained my suspension of disbelief at moments. Guy whose legs were pinned just walks off. All right. But the characters were so good that I easily brushed that aside. The ending left me wanting a lot more. I look forward to seeing all of the changes. So we got two pretty solid reviews right off the top there from Max and from Ash. Uh, Do you want to take the first part of Michael Gleason's? Yeah. So Michael Gleason says, a great episode. I was so tired of the mystery box that any change is welcomed, especially when we get more of a classic episode with Ben being forced to figure things out for himself. It gave Raymond more to do. I'm looking forward to whatever comes from the revelations in the final moments. As for the question re, should Donna return, who would we want? As much as I like Mimi as Donna, it's Terry friggin' Hatcher. Finally, in regards to John Smith's feedback, I have a friend who was excited for the new QL because they're a fan of Raymond Lee and had no idea that there was a previous series. So it's possible. I haven't yet convinced them to watch the classic QL yet, but fingers crossed. So, so John, you're not alone. Wow. Apparently there are people <laughs> just like you out there. <laughs> Maybe there are even people out there who like uh, Tess as their first season favorite as well. So I guess anything's possible. Yeah. Uh, we have um, another uh, missive from Jeff Kiska. Jeff writes, very solid episode. I really enjoyed the leap and appreciated that it was the main focus. Addison's absence really highlighted how much Ben has come to rely on her and how much I've come to enjoy the pairing. I hope things in the present, he puts present in quotation marks because we're in the future now, Mm. get resolved so we can have them back together again. The reveal at the end was great and has me crossing my fingers that the modern project's shutdown led to the team having to bring things back up at the old project site. Doesn't have to be a permanent change, I just want a little nostalgia as a treat. They could use the old imaging chamber door, obviously have Deborah finally back as Ziggy's voice. Maybe Ian could even fire up the old keytar. <laughs> <laughs> the keytar, man. The keytar is the most important bit of OS lore. Well, obviously that didn't happen. Sorry, Jeff. It would have been nice. Yeah. I think uh, it's something that I wanted as well. But yeah. uh, no, we're back. We're back at uh, QL LA, right? So uh, maybe they will make a keytar appearance at some point, though. I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> Finally, we hear from James Gould. James Gould writes, really good episode. A couple of things I really enjoyed. One was no observer. In the first season, Addison would show up after five seconds. A big part of the appeal of the original for me was the period where Sam would have to work out what was going on, where he was, what he was doing until Al arrived. So it was cool to see. The observer can definitely make things too easy for Ben at times. I also enjoyed Ben making some mistakes, saying the wrong thing for the time period, saying he has a fiancé he's never mentioned before. I love all that awkwardness. It seemed a lot more real to me. I hope they keep those couple of beats going. Was that the first time we saw the leap effect on Ben? Was it? No, I'm... I, yeah, I mean, I, maybe it's maybe one of the few full body leaps, like like full body shots. Yeah, and they've, uh, they've, they've beefed it up a little bit for this season. There's a bit more of a kind of blue blur coming out from him 
Yeah, so maybe we're seeing an evolution of the leap effect as much as we mm. did in season one. I think we, you know, we've discussed this before, but uh, the fact that we have to question ourselves as to whether or not it's the first time we've actually seen it, I guess, shows you how much they've downplayed that element of the series mm. in in this new incarnation of it. So, uh, one other thing that James Gould said, he says that he loves the season one mystery box stuff. Hey, <laughs> so see, uh, there's something for everyone. It, it just depends on who you talk to. So, all right, finally, now I saved the best for last, the most important thing, um, several people, both uh, personal and over the YouTube and different remarks, complimented me and corrected me on my Rankin-Bass reference in the last episode. If you recall, I dropped in uh, the song, put one foot in front of the other. To set the record straight, as so many people have now told me, that song was in Santa Claus is Coming to Town, not a year without a Santa Claus, as I had guessed in the course of the episode. So thank you guys for schooling me on that. And by the way, the year without a Santa Claus is the one with Heat Miser and Cold Miser, which have become like a cult of personality in and of themselves in certain circles. So a lot of you out there know what I'm talking about. Matt, I know you don't, but I urge you to Google it because they're a hoot. I don't, but Chris, it takes a big man to admit his mistakes. I'm proud of you. Thank you for coming out and and covering that. (laughs) I just didn't know that the Rankin-Bass rank-and-file were going to come after me on that, but they did. (laughs) (laughs) They sure came out of the woodwork. So, mea culpa, mea culpa. There's fandom everywhere. (laughs) That's for sure. Well, if you would like to be like John Smith and all of our patrons and those uh, nitpickers that were correcting me about the year without a Santa Claus, there are many ways that you can reach us here at the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can write us a letter at P.O. Box 542, Bayport, New York, 11705. You can get us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can Instagram us at quantumleappodcast. You can X us at quantumleappod. You can find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash the quantumleappodcast. And as I said, you can always go that extra mile and support us on Patreon at patreon.com com slash quantum leap podcast just remember we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the quantum leap podcast and speaking of upcoming episodes matt tell us what's next okay so the next episode is closure encounters and the synopsis reads now a government agent ben investigates unexplained extraterrestrial activity after a mysterious incident in new mexico two young girls lives are on the line Ben meets Hannah Carson, Eliza Taylor joining the cast, who may be more than she appears. Ooh. 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 So I thought it was just going to be some kind of like X-Files, Alien of the Week kind of thing. Yeah. Is Hannah Carson an alien? Ah, maybe she is. I'm not sure. But uh, I guess, uh, yeah, I'm so interested to see. And I know that Albie and I discussed this when we did our trailer review, the fact that Eliza is going to be one of the new cast members. We're finally getting introduced to her in the next episode, much like we got introduced uh, to Tom in this episode. So I guess they're doling this stuff out as the series goes. But Tom makes sense to me. Uh, Hannah doesn't. So, God, I'm so curious about this. Yeah, this 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 is somebody that um, we've seen from the trailer exists in the past. Yeah. So unless Closure Encounters and episode 206, which is the, the trailer footage, unless they both take place at the same time, I, I don't know, time traveler, 
Um, person with really good skin who doesn't age well. Who knows? <laughs> immortal. She's an immortal. Yes. She is. She's the doctor. She's Jack. She's Jack. She's Captain Jack. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now we're really crossing fandoms. So many possibilities. So many possibilities. I'm, I'm excited by that. Ah, me too. Well, it's going to be an interesting reveal, let's hope, and I cannot wait to discuss it with you. Until that time, I have been Christopher DeFilippis. And I've been Matt Dale. And we both want to believe. (laughs) Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. The executive producer of the quantum leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Special thanks to our producers, Harold Sullivan, Glenda Palma, Chris, a.k.a. Brackmang, Mike Covert, Jeff Kiska, Craig Riedler, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television and no copyright infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap podcast is a barren space production. Janet Montgomery, who plays Rebecca, and Graham Patrick Morton, who played Sean, I think they did a really good job with what they were given. And when we got the screener, they had asked up top a couple of things to not reveal. And one was that Janet Montgomery was even in this episode if you were going to be Mm. doing some kind of preview stuff, because I guess it it was under wraps. It was a get. She, I looked her up, is a star of uh, a hospital drama on NBC called New Amsterdam. So I'm not really sure what the big secret was. This will immediately date the recording because presumably at some point between tonight when we're recording this and tonight when you're all listening to it, there will be an article in Variety saying, Janet Montgomery, new guest star in Quantum Leap. Oh, so you're thinking that they're okay. So you're thinking that NBC was holding on to it specifically so they could reveal it and asking all of us not to. That's, That's what I'm assuming, that this is going to be a... Yeah, look look who we've got. Here's the big news flash, and they want to drop that at a certain time. Ah, you're very smart, Matt Dell. That's And that's already happened, according to your logic. Yes. So we're effectively time travelers. <laughs> yeah, from the point of view of the people listening, you probably found out about this a, a week ago or something, and there was a, yeah, some, some media blitz, and that's when we'll find out, yes, Janet Montgomery from New Amsterdam. Uh, to which me and Chris are shrugging our shoulders and saying, mm-hmm. what's, what's that? But okay, fine. Good. Was she in Paging Dr. Song? Yeah. <laughs> That's the last medical drama I watched. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start recording again, so. All right. Check one, two. Check one, two. Our recording is back. Yep. And I'm back too. Okay. This is 202 Inserts, which was also the name of a 70s movie with Gene Hackman about porn. What, was it actually? Yeah, inserts, yep. 
Oh, I thought you meant 202 inserts. So that, that would have been no, quite 202 weird. inserts. Yeah, maybe maybe they had two on two inserts. <laughs> it referred to the practice of um, putting hardcore footage into softcore features to make it X rated. Oh. So they would put just put inserts of like close ups of genitalia and penetration and stuff like that. So I didn't realize that was an actual thing. I, I feel I've heard of this, but I if I have heard of it, I thought it was urban legend. So, yeah. <laughs> Cool. I've learned something new. I made this. <laughs> sit, Ubu, sit. Good dog.